Hello, everybody, and welcome to Dishing with Stephanie's Dish, the podcast where we talk to people in the food space. And we are really excited because we're getting back. The first of the year is happening. And many of you have entered dry January, moist January, which is like the worst word in the world. Maybe we're just in a period where we're being more self-aware about what we're drinking or that we want to just drink less for health reasons. You know, there's really, it really does run the gamut from the days of when someone wasn't drinking and you'd be like, you know, why? You don't ask anymore. And there's a myriad of reasons. And it doesn't really matter because everybody's getting to their journey in their own place. And along with that is this resurgence of non-alcoholic beverages. You know, in the day when you were pregnant, you would like, they'd be like, well, we can get you a Diet Coke. Or if they were real fancy, they'd offer up a kitty cocktail, which made you feel like an infant. <laughs> but we have really grown in our non-alcoholic offerings, our low ABV offerings. And I'm excited to talk with the folks that have engineered Dry Wit, which is a non-alcoholic wine. And I'm here with Megan Dayton and Peter Schweigert. And You guys, like, if you would have told me non-alcoholic wine 10 years ago, I would have pulled up our Catawba juice because my parents were alcoholics and were dry. So we would have Catawba juice, which was essentially grapefruit juice that had some bubble added to it for any holiday. This is like a real revelation, revolution. I'm so excited to talk to you. How did this even come to your brains that this was possible? I'll start just because... I quit drinking for like absolutely apparent reasons. I needed to quit drinking booze. So I quit drinking, but I still love to go out and I'd love to eat a really good dinner and, you know, sit at a table and share a bottle. So I realized that there was nothing for all the reasons you just like described. There's nothing, there was nothing on the market. So I, the first thing I did was I made a logo and I I got um, Warner Design Works to help me with a the, what it would look like. And I had ideas, but I didn't have any recipes or any idea how to come about making recipes until I found Peter. So like two two years into it, I found him through Eric Dayton, my cousin, and Marvel Bar, and we connected and. Uh, you know, dry wit was born. The idea that I had was a bottle of wine, but without alcohol, like would do all the same things to your mouth as wine does and would taste as good with food as wine does, but wouldn't have alcohol. That was it. And a pretty bottle. And yeah, I was just going to say you were at, I mean, I think we can say Marvel Bar during its time was just one of the most exciting revelatory revolutionary cocktail rooms in the twin cities you know we were we were fortunate enough in marvel bar to have a space that was focused entirely on beverages um you know our food offerings they they ebbed and flowed but the vast majority of people who came through there knew us for our cheetos um so you know we we just got to focus on on alcohol primarily um and then more and more so less alcohol if that makes sense you know when we first opened our old fashions were made with two ounces of 100 proof bourbon. And by the time we were done, the vast majority of the drinks we sold outside of the Olivetto and the old fashioned were lower proof options. 
Um, you know, it seemed like we gave people a better time in the space with just alcohol and no food if we lowered the alcohol. Um, and we had been experimenting with um, some programming to kind of give us some creative focus. Um, and then in the in the beginning stages of 2020, we took all 400 bottles off the back bar and replaced our creative energy from alcohol to non-alcoholic completely. Um, and so we, you know, pandemic shut us down before we were finished with that exploration. Um, but it was something that for me personally, I stopped drinking in 2015 or 2016. Um, and the, it was just a creative effort that I could fully wrap my head around again. You know, like I'd, I'd kind of stepped away from trying to come up with new cocktails because it wasn't as exciting to me. Um, and suddenly this was this was born and it was much more exciting to me. Um, no and so when the bar shut of, down. Mm -hmm. Do you guys are you familiar with Eleven Madison, the restaurant in New York and Daniel Hume, who, you know, won the James Beard Award, was the most acclaimed restaurant in New York City and you could argue possibly the world and during the pandemic, he just same kind of feeling like he wasn't excited about meat anymore. He wasn't excited about uh, some of the fish and some of the things they were serving. And so he went completely plant based and everybody told him, you know, you're crazy, you're nuts. And he's really reinvented his love of food and his love of the industry. And the restaurant has still remained incredibly successful. That's a huge, that was a huge risk for you. How did you get your owners and the people that back your restaurant excited about that idea? I mean, I think Eric was, Eric also didn't drink at the time. Um, and I think still doesn't, but um, we, we were both really excited about it. Um, you know, we'd seen some of the, the, the signs that people were kind of shifting to be less and less focused on alcohol and dry January was kind of in its infancy, at least in, in the, the circles we were running with, but it just felt right. And, you know, our other explorations had been, had been positively received, but um, nothing was, you know, you kind of have to take a big risk to, to get a big reward. One of the things that I think is so fascinating about, so my personal family has been in the recovery movement for a very long time. Like my stepfather has written books about recovery adult children of alcoholism was topics that we had at the conversation at the dinner table from the time I was like in the sixth grade. So we've talked a ton about AA and finding Bill W and your higher power and all the things. What is really fascinating about the dry movement as we've kind of come into, I would say like 2019 to now is that it's so different in its genesis of how people got there or why people got there. And it's very um, multi-layered. So for instance, we have terms like California sober, we have terms like uh, low ABV or just people that, you know, want to have mocktails because they just, it doesn't feel like a good night to have a drink for them for whatever reason, or they got to get up for a meeting. It's so normalized now, which is like really amazing and so on trend. But there's also then like this whole movement of let's make these things, ciders, spirits, gins, vodkas that don't have alcohol in them. Is there some like schism to that? Because like in the day, I, I my stepdad wouldn't even drink NyQuil if he was sick because there was alcohol in it or he wouldn't have 
a certain kind of cough drop. And now we have a lot of people that are sober, but they will drink a non-alcoholic wine, a non-alcoholic old fashioned. Is that a slippery slope or is it just each person's personal choice? It is each person's personal choice. And that's kind of goes back to what Megan said, uh, you know, a couple minutes ago was that she wanted something non-alcoholic and, and, and by that she means like truly non-alcoholic, you know, that we've never made alcohol and then tried to take it back out because, you know, and I, again, keyword tried, there's always trace amounts of alcohol in your NA beer and your NA wines that are truly from beer and wine. You know, there's, there's very few options that are, I mean, there's nothing that's really NA wine. That's truly NA. Okay, um, I, did there not know is, that. I mean, because they, they all have to have the little caveat of, you know, contains less than 0.5% alcohol. Um, and that's because they, you know, try as hard as they will, there's going to be some trace amounts in there. Um, and so for some people who are in recovery or who don't avoid alcohol, that's that's a thing that they avoid completely. And so that's why we went from the for the route of not being wine at all. We kind of fall into this gray Wild West category of wine alternatives. I think How it's do you do it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was it was a kind of a a, a long editorial journey where we had like you know many iterations of trying to figure out what made wine work with food um you know our, our products out of context can seem a little jarring maybe to people because they're so acidic and there's noticeable salt um they're they're all carbonated but those are all just tools that we use to help something that doesn't have alcohol in it stand up to food and and you know give you a maximum amount of flavor megan did you want to say something i think i cut you off earlier i was just gonna say that uh the slippery slope part of it all it um you know i think it's really important to go to places like marigold or zero proof where they will explain like oh this one had booze in it and they took it out because it's you know it's kind of it's a little nerve wracking if you're truly trying to stay away from all alcohol to go into a shop and be like, I don't know if that's safe for me. So it's kind of great that we have those two really, really, really good options. I mean, there's a couple more, too, that I didn't even mention that are just killing it, helping us. I, I had a blast. Um, my producer on my new television show, Taste Buds with Stephanie, had stopped drinking and had been coming up on her year anniversary. And she's a vegan and we'd talked a lot. She's introducing me to a lot of cool things that, you know, I'm someone who eats meat. I'm someone who drinks. I do all the things she doesn't do. And <laughs> it's been really fun to see food through her experience, her lens. She's really um, opened my eyes to lots of things. So I knew right away when January was coming that I wanted to do a dry January segment and I knew I wanted to go to Marigold because I'm so impressed with the store and the concept and the adaptogen component that they've added. So we really got to spend a lot of time with Erin and her um, bartender, Josie, putting together a really great episode. And dry wit was a big part of that. And I, at that point, I'd already had it a couple of times because I had it at a dinner that we went to um, for the Black and Blue Project. And I just really felt so differently about it in a pairing of a food setting than just having it at a tasting. So it's funny that you talk about how you designed it that way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, we I was probably more comfortable 
than most because you know we we played around with kind of the extremes of flavor and what's possible in the beverage industry through Marvel. Um, you know, we'd, we'd had multiple drinks on the menu that had no added sugar, um, you know, that were, that were purposely like salty and dry and briny, like, you know, um, the dirty martini is kind of an example of that in the, in the beverage world where it's just, it's so far, you know, outside of this realm that you might expect, but yet like, it's really popular and it's, it's easy to drink. Um, and so, you know, we, we wanted to push it as far as we could in the direction because without all those things tasting so discordant, um, you know, maybe to your like soda palette or, um, your, your, your sparkling water palette, like then they don't pair with food. And, and Megan, I can totally see what you would have missed about that experience because when you go to a multi-course dinner and you have pairings, you know, it's so much about the experience, but also how things are marrying with each other. And that's one of the reasons why I'm so glad that we're doing this dinner at the Lexington on the 31st of January. It is a four course dinner and each course is paired specifically to match with the flavor of dry wit. And Peter, do you just want to go through like some of the iterations of dry wit so people know that it's not just white or not just red? Yeah, I mean, we we had we thought long and hard about naming uh, and how we would kind of capture the essence of what's in a bottle. And so we went with literary or cultural references because we thought that would be a way for people to connect with it, at least in, in the Western world, um, without it being, you know, if you pick up a bottle and it says Rhone from this region, like, you know, you know what grapes are in it, you know, kind of what it should taste like and what it should pair with. Like you get a roadmap that way, but in the wild west of NA wine alternatives, there is no roadmap. So um, we went with Pippi, which is our, our, our lightest of them. Um, and that kind of pairs with light briny flavors, and it's made with uh, white pine tea and unripened wine grape juice called Berjou. Um, and then we kind of up the botanicals and up the salinity a little bit, as well as the tannins um, for the next flavor, Salinger, which is made with linden flower tea. And again, the same the same Berjou, and then a little bit of pear juice to add just a little bit of like fruity punch to it. Um, and then the the biggest of them is bay leaf tea based uh, called Bruce. And that one we make with a, a red wine grape berju and a little bit of tart cherry juice. I I can't even imagine like how you started this. Like, I mean, tea. I mean, did you just because of your experience at Marvel and how long you'd been in the beverage industry and all the things you drank, you knew? <laughs> I mean, sort of. I mean, the... You know, once the concept was formed, it was like it was easy to just plug and play like Bruce. I thought about for months and then it was like, you know, I made it on a Friday. We drank it on a Sunday and that was it. That was the recipe. It has never changed oh. since, you know, but Pippi and Salinger both started off much more complex. And, you know, I think Pippi's first iteration had, you know, three or four times the amount of ingredients in it. Um, but yeah, we just kept on finding things, you know, along the way, my partner was pregnant. And so we didn't have, I suddenly realized that, I don't know, maybe a third of the ingredients I was playing around with weren't safe for pregnancy. And that's a, ma a major reason why people would avoid drinking alcohol. Um, but a lot of bittering agents are, are you know, bitters, nature's, you know, like little, little flag that something's poisonous. And the place where you're the most susceptible to those types of poisons are are in the pregnancy period. 
Um, and so we, we, that all these things went out of the way and then, you know, we didn't want to add sugar. So that went out of the way and sugar's great at standing up to food and adding like big full flavored body to, to drinks. Um, so we just took away all these like easy underhands that I otherwise would have gone with and just, it just kind of edited itself down to this minimalist stance. Megan, you seem re really proud of the product. I am really proud. I love the product. It makes me so happy when I can go out to dinner and have dry wit because it just makes the whole, it makes it all complete. Like, okay, I'm a part of the party and it's a great party and you're having wine, but I'm, and I'm having dry wit, you know, yeah. it makes me, it's, it is actually, it enlivens me to be able to give it to people because a lot of people didn't even know they were missing it, you know? Yeah, I absolutely do know. Uh, Peter, is it is it is it a challenging sell, like to go into restaurants, to go into liquor stores? How is it being received in that way? Oh, I mean, I think liquor stores are maybe the most open to it right away because they see, you know, we we kind of are at a, a at a point of even greater change in the industry because of our unique stance on THC as a state um, where liquor stores can sell products made from hemp. Um, and that, you know, coincided, you know, probably very directly with a decline in wine sales, you know, alcohol sales are down across most categories. Um, you know, you see breweries closing at a rate that is, you know, accelerated compared to 10 years ago, especially. Um, and so the place that people are picking up that slack is in the THC and NA space. Um, which are very complimentary. You know, you can't have five or six THC drinks in a night because you, you really, you you go far too far beyond. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, if you want to keep drinking throughout the night, the, the full NA options are there. Um, I think restaurants, the hurdles are less about, um, about uh, embracing the space than it is about kind of how things are packaged. And, you know, we're a big format wine bottle. So, um, you know, you need to be able to sell many glasses out of it to be able to make your return. Um, so, you know, but again, restaurants that we're, we're in have seen have seen pretty robust sales of our product. How like I when we're marketing your dinner and the dinner that we're having at the Lexington, you know, we're talking about dry January because that's a marketing hook. But I also like would love it if people that listen to this podcast who love food if they would come too, because I, again, I think that it has the ability to open the door just like it would if you experienced a new type of wine or a new type of liqueur. These are very parable, quaffable, delicious beverages on their own. And when paired, you really get that elevated feeling and that elevated experience. And when you come to the dinner, Peter will be there and he will talk with you about why we picked the types of food that we did, how we paired them the way that we did. And while if you're dry, great. But if you're not, I also think you're going to have an incredible evening learning about a whole new category of something that didn't even really exist. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We, we talk about, um, I had recently a milk and honey cider that they made into a hard cider and then they took the alcohol out from the hard cider to keep it tasting like a hard cider, but with whatever it is, 0.5% or less alcohol still in the cider. 
And it's fascinating that you have this same product that starts as apple juice. You ferment it, then you unferment it. Like, it's just crazy how all of that process still leaves you with this really delicious tasting, very low alcohol or practically non-hard cider. Pretty cool. There's, there's so many products in this space right now that like, we don't have any overlap, you know, that every product that's being developed, you know, the, the bulk of them aren't developed in the US right now. Um, there's one from Australia, there's a couple from Copenhagen, there's one from Canada, those are the big ones we see in the Minnesota market. Um, but every one of them is so different and so unique that like, to say that we're in competition really doesn't do it justice, you know, like, I think all of us could be represented in a wine list. Um, if that was the, the direction a wine program was being taken. Um, and and really do justice to the food that's there and do justice to the experience. Um, one of the one of the places that we've found have been the most that have caused the most delight have been in meals where alcohol is served, kind of like the Project Black and Blue Ball, um, where in the middle of a meal suddenly you're presented with something that you've never experienced before, and in the context of of the meal and the pairing, it works really well. But you're like trying to figure out what the heck it is you're drinking, and it feels like you're like you know, stepping into some un, unfamiliar wilderness almost like in a way that I think is is more and more rare as, as you know, the economy and the way that we eat and, and drink is more globalized. Um, so it's it's really fun to be able to like kind of shock people that they're drinking something non-alcoholic in the middle of the context of an alcohol filled event. Yeah, many people did not know, I'm fairly certain. And by that time, you know, a lot of these foodie events can get really alcohol heavy on the front end you know, big heavy cocktail hour, you're doing tasting so that you're getting small bites of things and the drinking's just going on and on and on. And by the time you sit down to the dinner, if it's paired with wine courses, you know, you might be leaving an event and have had seven cocktails over the course of four or five hours, which is a lot. And so people were pretty, you know, there were a lot of different types of people, but at my table, people were feeling pretty good. And then <laughs> the, the dry wit came out and I honestly questioned who even knew. I knew because I just have been experiencing and wanting to do something with you guys. But it was it was really interesting. And people talked about how delicious it was. Great. Yeah. And that's at the, at its core, like that's what a good beverage program should be is, you know, delicious and tastes good with the food in that sitting. So you guys are both big foodies and in the foodie space. Is this as you expand outside of Minnesota, is it being well-received? We haven't done that yet. We haven't expanded outside of Minnesota. We're, we're wanting to, and we plan to, but we're not there yet. It's just the, it's me and Peter making every bottle you drink. So, you know, it's kind of small. For okay. Now. So I mean, any bottle shops are popping up. Any bottle shops are popping up all over the country. Um, I mean, we follow, well over 20. Um, and it feels like there's kind of like one per market that's really like for, for most of the secondary markets, you know, outside of like uh, New York and, and um, LA, New York's market's a little different because you can't sell NA products at a place that sells alcohol. So you have to have separate NA bottle shops. So it makes sense that that's the place that, where there's maybe the most of them. Um, but I don't know of any other laws like that in other states where, um, so, you know, liquor stores are taking up a lot of that as well. In places like California, you know, the origin of California sober, like I think the the total NA market is is growing at a rate that, you know, maybe precludes what what some of the other states will do as as THC becomes more and more legalized. 
also when we talk about food trends like low and no alcohol is a trend going into again 2024 but another trend that hit hit my interest was this idea of savory drinks savory cocktails savory and and dry wit with the salt and the salinity it has a savory component to me in my thinking about it so you feel like you're probably right on trend peter Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. We, uh, <laughs> we haven't put, you know, uh, any smoke flavors in our drinks yet, but I'm sure ours would be the, the first vegan bacon flavored beverage in the market. <laughs> oh gosh. Uh, we won't go that far. I know. And the whole vegan bacon thing, like it's so complicated because do you want bacon if you're a vegan, but there are vegans that do, or I do know a couple of people that are vegan except for bacon. Like that's the only thing. Uh, that yeah. Like I'm gluten free except for French bread. Yes. Well, <laughs> some things you just like, why would you deny yourself those things? I, I find that actually to be incredibly true during the whole like crazy. Nobody ate bread, low carb times. I had that rule. I was like, I won't eat as many carbs, but I'm still always eating French bread. Like right. that's just a non-negotiable. <laughs> What are some of your um, favorite places that you'd like to see this product in, in the Twin Cities that maybe you're not in now? Mm. I think we're, we're on the edge of hopefully, you know, conversations with Mara and the Four Seasons. Um, that I think would be a really beautiful pairing. I think the food is, you know, we, we don't, our products, because they don't have much sugar, don't stand up to really heavy, spicy food. Um, but places like Oro and, um, you know, and Mara, where the food beers less spicy, but more spiced, I think we mm -hmm. could do really well at. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think the the place that we're maybe the most reluctant to get in, but I think would be really fun to be in would be some like grocery store adjacent spaces, you know, like Lunds and Byerly's and Kowalski's. Um, you know, as we grow, our, our, our efforts are really Minnesota focused because, you know, not just because it's the two of us, but because, you know, we want to really see like where we can kind of push ourselves, you know, what, what the market can sustain and, and, you know, what our growth potential is. So, um, you know, any of these places are really fun. I think the, the, the near suburbs too, we haven't really ventured into them as much because for the time being, we're still self-distributing. So, you know, chain restaurants and like, restaurant groups that kind of handle, you know, the, the first ring suburbs, or even into the, some of the second ring suburbs, we haven't really dipped our toes into, but again, the same trends are happening there as they are in the city, the city proper. So um, those are, those are kind of the areas that I think we could really expand into and, and do a lot of good. I I would love to see you at Red Rabbit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think they do such a good job with their wine program. Speaking of kind of that first ring, and Luke's yeah. obviously in the wine business himself now, but I feel like some of those pairings and the oysters and um, some of the items that they do there would be a good fit. So I'll put in the word for you. Yeah, please do. Please do. All right. So we're going to be having our dinner January 31st. There are tickets available now. The way you get tickets is to go to the Lexington's open table page. And there's a tab that says experiences. And you can click on that. The whole menu is appetizer, salad, the main course, we're going to be having a roast lamb, which will be delicious. For dessert, there is a, a lemon chiffon cake that will be paired with a N.A. martini. 
which will be fun. Um, we'll be experiencing uh, all of the dry wits throughout the course of the dinner. So you'll get a chance to try every course. And I think if you're at all curious, just come and join us. It's going to be a great night, fun night. And we're just going to meet people that really care about their craft. And you'll meet some other people in the room that are just interested in the whole Minnesota making experience. Thanks for being here, you guys. It was super fun to talk to you. Really great to meet you. Yeah, likewise. It was wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this dinner. It is something I've always wanted to do. And I feel like you're just the perfect person on the cusp of something great. And it just gives me such a thrill to be like one of the first people to introduce this to people in a paired setting that they're just going to have their minds blown. So I'm super excited. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Stephanie. Thanks for the call. We'll talk with you guys on the 31st. See you soon. Bye. Thank Bye you. Bye-bye. Thank you.